Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Counterthought. This episode marks the six-month mark since my podcast began, so thank you to all of you who have been dedicated listeners and for your support uh, over these first six months. I plan on going much longer than this, but without you, I wouldn't have even made it six months. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. In this episode, we're going to talk about inclusive Christianity, or what I consider inclusive Christianity. You may have noticed from the title that I refer to it as a welcome mat because that's what I believe we as Christians are supposed to be. We are supposed to be welcoming. If we are not welcoming, whether that is to fellow believers or to non-believers, how are we ever going to fulfill the great commission that was given to us by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Right? If you are not going to be welcoming to someone, how are you ever going to reach them? So this topic came about now that we're about a week after Halloween, we're five or six days after Halloween. But this topic came about pre-Halloween and then kind of played through the Halloween weekend. So leading up to Halloween, you know, I've seen things on Instagram, Facebook, uh, certain podcasts or um, YouTube podcasts, video podcasts that I follow that were asking about whether or not Christians should celebrate Halloween. You know, that that got me thinking like, okay, that's a good question. You know, where do I stand? And what I was seeing being posted online by, like I said, by various people ranged anything from, no, like if you participate, if you're a Christian, you participate in Halloween, then you yourself are advocating for the devil, for Satan. Then I saw more middle of the road takes such as, yeah, well, if you are participating in Halloween, like it's okay if you, you know, if you aren't promoting the the evil of Halloween, but instead are doing the, the innocent or making trick-or-treating innocent, being a superhero, that's not a sin. And then I also saw takes um, more like just, just full-on support Halloween, you know, like I'm going to support Halloween. It doesn't matter. Like this is just a holiday. It's no big deal. So in my history, like I said last week in my interview with, with Jessica Dalton, um, if you have not listened to that episode 23, please go back and do so. But like I said in my interview with Jessica, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in my hometown, uh, attended that church from birth through age 18. And then whenever I was in town on Sundays and came back home on certain weekends from college, I would go to church, same church. And it wasn't until, I don't remember it existing when I was a little kid, you know, like elementary school years. I remember it more so existing starting high school, maybe middle school. Gosh, it's getting pretty long ago, so my memory might not be exact, but I just remember I just remember feeling too old when the whole trunk or treat came about. You may be familiar with trunk or treat. To me, the way I um, interpreted trunk or treat, well, it was the, the Christian alternative to trick-or-treating, right? And the way I interpreted it, the goal was to pull children out of trick-or-treating, going house to house, and just trunk or treating at the church, the physical church, the the building. 
So the way it was set up is, you know, you had cars would use the trunk of their vehicle to have their candy. That was like the front porch, you know, the equivalent at a home. And that's where you would hand out the candy. And then you'd have the the sweet little children walking around trick-or-treating with, you know, with their costumes on and everything. And that was the, that was the alternative. You took the children, especially the children that attended your church. Granted, you could, you could bring other friends if you wanted, like that was encouraged, but you took the children out of the streets so they would not be exposed to the evils of Halloween and put them in a safe environment on your church property. But I remember that when I was too old to participate. So I just, like when I was a little kid before trunk-or-treating existed, or from what I remember, trunk-or-treating existed, I just continued to go trick-or-treating around the neighborhoods. So trunk-or-treating was the, my interpretation, the Christian alternative to trick-or-treating. Now, Halloween is more than trick-or-treating, right? I mean, people spend the whole month of October preparing for Halloween, whether you are throwing a Halloween party, whether you are just decorating your home, whether you are you know, have little kids and you want to take them trick-or-treating, you know, deciding on costumes. And even you as a parent might dress up. I dress up. My wife and I dress up for Halloween this year. We were, um, I was Batman and she was Robin. And then our two boys were Spidey and Iron Man. And yes, for those of you, I know that's DC and Marvel and they don't mix, but our little man, our four-year-old, he, he decides, so that's what he wanted us to be, so that's what we were. Again, it's the innocence, it's cute, and, you know, there was, there was no fighting, anything like that, so don't email me about DC and Marvel. But there is a difference of opinion within the church, the people of the church, regarding Halloween. So the argument against Halloween is that Halloween is a holiday that celebrates demonic creatures and activity. So participating in Halloween means that you are promoting the sin and the evil of Halloween. Those are the hardline people who will say, no, no Halloween, not for me. I'll do a fall festival, but no Halloween. Anything involving Halloween is demonic. That's that's one end of of the spectrum. And then the middle of the road again is, you know, you do not promote the evils of Halloween. You know, you're not walking around with demon mask on or all this stuff running around scaring children. You're not having blood and all this other stuff and on your costumes and all these, all the different evils. I can't even think of them. There, there are so many, but you are not promoting that. Instead, what you're doing is you'll take trick-or-treating from Halloween and make it your own, make it clean, make it innocent. Like for my family, we went trick-or-treating up and down a street pretty wholesome street. You know, we chose that on purpose, but our boys were superheroes and we were superheroes, right? So we are the good fighting evil. So we put trick-or-treating in a safe environment. We had been in this neighborhood, I think this is our third year now in a row. And we knew that, you know, it's a pretty safe neighborhood because tons of kids are trick-or-treating up and down it. And the parents and everything of this that live in this neighborhood, you know, they're not out there dressing their kids in gory outfits, so it's it's good, clean fun. And then you have the people who are for Halloween, the opposite end of the spectrum for people who are completely against it. So the people who are for Halloween, who fully embrace Halloween, they don't see a problem with going all out and, you know, dressing as as the devil or a demon or walking around with your head chopped off and blood and gore and all those things. You know, 
they don't see any harm in it. It's just one day a year. They're just having fun. You know, that, then that's that, you know, they kind of separate it, put it in a box, you know, no harm, no foul. This one day, this one day, one night a year, no big deal. Well, I'm middle of the road. I'm middle of the road. That's, that's my stance. The middle of the road is again, you take the good of Halloween, like the trick-or-treating, harmless jack-o'-lanterns and things like that. And that is what you take part in. You are not promoting the evils of Halloween. You're not promoting the demonic or satanic nature of certain aspects of Halloween. You are just taking the, for us, my family, the trick-or-treating aspect and having good, clean fun. So I'm good with it as long as you aren't promoting the evil. And instead, you are being the light to others. You are being the light to others. But since this is a Christian topic for this episode, what does the Bible counsel us to do? What does the Bible counsel us to do in these types of situations? When you have the opportunity to attend, let's say, a party or celebrate something, and you know, like always, there is sin that will be there because this is a sinful world. We all have sin. What does the Bible tell us to do when we are in these types of environments? So in Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1 is about not walking in the counsel of the wicked. Instead, have your counsel come from and be the law of the Lord. So when we are around the quote-unquote wicked, we need to make sure that we have healthy spiritual food so that we do not fall victim to the counsel of the wicked, so we do not adopt the ways of the wicked and become like the wicked. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, says that bad company corrupts good character or good morals. So like in Psalm 1, we are to not become like the wicked, not to adopt the counsel of the wicked. We need to stay true to the counsel of the Lord. Because when we take counsel from the bad or the wicked, we fall victim to that and then can fall into sin or will fall into sin. So like in Psalm 1, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, is another reason or another, another demonstration of why we must be taking our counsel from the Lord so that when we are in the presence of bad company, we are spiritually fed and we will not fall victim to that company. Also, in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2, we are told not to judge others. In the NIV version, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We're also told in Romans 3.23 that we are to show mercy and grace to the sinner caught in sin, not to condemn the sinner. And we are to speak, and we are to speak truth to sinners and call out sinful ways. So if you think about that as it relates to Halloween, we are supposed to speak truth to a sinner and not call out sinful ways or and call out sinful ways. You know, I don't advocate for walking down the street with a bullhorn for everyone who's in a evil costume or doing evil things and yelling at them. That will completely shut it off. Any type of any type of connection you may have with that individual or any potential connection you could have with that individual completely shut down. Instead, we are to show mercy and grace to the sinner caught in the sin, like I just read in Romans 3.23. Not to condemn the sinner. Yes, we are to call out their sin, but not condemn them. Don't beat them over the head. Don't Bible thump them. 
Show mercy to them and grace. Think of the times Jesus did that. Think of the times when Jesus showed grace and mercy. One example is with the the woman in the street who was going to be stoned to death. Jesus started writing in the dirt and no one knows or it's debated what, what he was writing. Some say he could have been writing the sins of the others of the men that were standing there with the stones ready to throw and throw at this woman. But Jesus said to the crowd, let thee who is without sin cast the first stone. And slowly, one by one, the men began to leave because they realized that they are sinful. They are not without sin. And the woman's life was spared. And Jesus just said to her, go on and sin no more. And we're not called to judge right? We all have sinned. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who are we to judge others? If we come down with judgment upon upon people who are sinning, in this case Halloween, and you come down on them, who are you to judge them? They can easily quickly come back and judge you on the same measure because we all have sin. And as far as reaching out to them and, one, and evangelizing to them, being a light to them, sharing God's word, the gospel, the good news with them, you will shut down that that gateway real quick. So we're called to be more welcoming. I'm calling us to be more welcoming. We as Christians should strive to want to do good, right? To make the good choices, not the bad choices. But we know that's not always going to happen, right? We all have sin. But I think what we fail to do too many times is we get into our Christian bubble and we surround ourselves with like-minded people. This is true, I think, in for our religion, for our faith, for our politics, sports teams, hobbies, whatever. Like-minded individuals, because it's easier to communicate and get along with like-minded people, right? Why subject yourself to being disgruntled and butting your heads with someone all the time, right? Like water, We choose the path of least resistance. So we choose to be around like-minded people. Now, if you are a Christian, is a non-believer a like-minded person? No. Can they have a good heart, be kind-hearted, be nice to people just like you? Yes. Do they sin just like you? Yes. What's the difference? Well, the primary difference, obviously, is that Jesus Christ is not their Lord and Savior. But if we are not welcoming to to those individuals, Jesus Christ may never be their Lord and Savior. And I'm not saying that Jesus can't find his way back into their life. He can. All things are possible through him. Jesus told us to go out and make disciples, right? That's the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples. But we can't go out and make disciples if we shut down the lines of communication with non-believers. So we need to be more welcoming. We need to be a welcome mat. We need to be inclusive. Yes, have like-minded people, have fellow Christians in your, in your close-knit circle. The main pastor at my church and the other associate pastors as well, they refer to them as BGPs, big godly people. People in your circle that you can go to with big decisions for counseling, for wisdom, in addition to God's word. So let's strive to be a BGP for other people especially non-believers, let's be a welcome mat. Let's invite them into our church, our community. Put out an olive branch, extend your hand out to them. If you are going to an event and majority of of the friends there are going to be Christians, invite someone you know that is not. 
why make Christianity limited access? We ourselves were once dead in our sins before we accepted Jesus Christ in our Lord and Savior and was given the newness of life. So why would we ever want to shut that down for other individuals? Why would we want to keep others dead in their sin? That is selfishness. And that is not obeying God's calling to us of that great commission to go out and make disciples. I mean, think about it. If you are a non-believer, and if you are a non-believer listening to this podcast, thank you. Let's say you're a non-believer. And you, one day, one Sunday, one Sunday morning, were like, you know what? There's this church I drive by every weekday when I go to work, but I've never stopped in. I'm going to go today to check it out. So you drive by, you go in there, you walk through the front door. First impression. Is anyone there at the door to greet you? If they are, did they ask you your name? Did they welcome you to their church service that morning? After the church service. Did anyone come up and talk to you? Did anyone recognize, say, hey, I've never seen that person before. I'm going to go talk to that individual. If you are that non-believer, I know you can answer those questions for yourself. And if you are a Christian and you have never done that, yes, it requires a little bit of outgoingness to walk up to someone you don't know. But how about we strive to do that? Because you don't know who, are you going, who you might meet before, during, or after a church service. Someone could walk in taking their own, their own step of courage, their own step of bravery, and going and attending a church for the first time. And if we as Christians do not meet them at their level, they might never return. And on top of that, if you're a non-believer, you've probably noticed there are denomination after denomination after denomination of churches. There are hundreds of them. Some say even thousands, not only in the U.S., but across the world. I mean, talk about confusing. You're driving down the street and you see First Baptist Church, First United Methodist, St. Paul's United Methodist, Southern Baptist, Second Baptist, Episcopalian, um, Presbyterian, Anglican, so on and down on the line. So you walk into one one Sunday, one denomination one Sunday, and you hear the word. You interact with the people. You go to another church another day, some day in your life. doesn't have to be the next week. Attend another church service. Completely different denomination. You could have a different experience. So to the Christians out there, why do we do that? I started out in a Southern Baptist church, and now I go to a non-denominational church. But I'm making sure the church, the mission of the church, and the belief of the church is that it is centered on God's word and believes God's word is infallible. It is true. And we practice what God's word preaches, instructs us to do. Now, I know with all these different denominations, there are differences, right? That's like the definition of the denomination. There's no reason to have a different denomination if everything is the same. I argue that we don't make it easy on non-believers to come and invite themselves to the church. We have over hundreds of denominations each one with just a little bit different way of thinking or a little bit different interpretation. And I think that does not help the larger, the greater church as a whole. I remember, you know, like there's always the little tongue in cheek, but back and forth between Baptist churches and Methodists, right? You're in a Baptist church. You might hear towards the end of the service. All right, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but you know, if you were at the Methodist church, you'd already be out to lunch. 
And I'm sure the Methodist church would say the same thing about the Baptist church, right? Or, hey, Baptists don't dance. Joke's on you, I dance. But I mean, there's just always that little like tongue-in-cheek back and forth. But there doesn't need to be. I understand that's in good fun. But if you're a non-believer, you might be asking yourself, well, I'm in a Methodist church this Sunday, but what's the difference in deal with the Baptist church? Am I doing it right by coming to the Methodist church? Vice versa? Should I go to an Episcopalian church or a Presbyterian church? Am I doing this right? Which church is closer to God? These are questions non-believers can be asking themselves. And I say that we are not being welcoming in that we have too many denominations. But since we are stuck with these denominations, we need to make sure that we are consistent in our behavior at the physical church and then outside of church. We need to always be welcoming to individuals, whether they are a believer or a non-believer. We need to be inclusive, right? Not condemning. We need to open up our arms and the metaphorical arms of the church to everyone we meet. I think the most popular term associated with Christianity is probably hypocrite, right? People think Christian, you're supposed to be better than others, make better decisions than others. And then whenever we sin, it's like the hypocrisy is is magnified. Yes, I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And yes, I sleep around. Yes, I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And yes, you saw me drunk at a party this past weekend. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And yes, you see me using foul language every every moment of every day, regardless of my environment. So then a non-believer sees that and says, well, what's the difference between them and me? Right? They don't understand that Jesus has washed our washed us clean, but that is by no means from a Christian perspective, a reason to be able to feel like you can act any way you want. We're supposed to desire to act according to God's word, to want to be like Christ. Christ did not do these things. But a non-believer most likely doesn't know that. He's going to think, well, if their behavior is the same, whether they're, if they're a Christian than me, then, then what good does Christianity do, right? Do I even believe that their life after death is going to be any different than mine? Why would I want to strive to do better than what I already am? Where's the good Christian example that I should be following? Right? So we as Christians, we need to check ourselves and our behavior, correct? I know I sin. I sin a lot. Anger is one of one of my issues uh, that relates from probably many different things. I'm not going to really self-diagnose myself here on this podcast episode, but but anger, I have a short fuse especially when things are not done the way I think that they should be done and makes the most sense. But that's my sin. That is something that I need to work on and take to the Lord to resolve. But we need to be welcoming. We need to accept who we are. We need to accept who God calls us to be. And we need to go out and obey his call to make disciples. And to those Christians who are listening to this episode, that are afraid of mingling with non-Christians, why is that? Is it because you don't believe in your good counsel, that it would be able to withstand the company that you are keeping in that moment? If it is, you need to spend more time in the Word, right, in strengthening your counsel, strengthening the spiritual food that you are being fed, and consuming more of it. 
But how can we add more disciples if we are not welcoming? I use the term a welcome mat, right? Not because I think we need to allow ourselves to be stepped on, but because a welcome mat is the first thing you see whenever before you enter into a room. So before someone... Or before, the welcome mat is the first thing you see before you enter a home. And the church, the physical building, is one of our homes. And as we invite other, as we we invite non-believers into our church home, we are the welcome mat. We are the welcome mat. We need to be the most inviting welcome mat that there can be. It doesn't necessarily need to say, welcome. It needs to say, come on in. I'm glad you are here. Come on in. Let me show you around. Come on in. Have a seat. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Come on in. What can I do for you? Welcome to my home. I am so glad you are here. So as I continue to reflect on this, I can't help but think how if we are the welcome mat here on earth, and we bring more non-believers to become believers. We are essentially the first welcome mat rolled out in heaven. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.